Hello and welcome once again to the Wide Teams Podcast, the podcast for geographically dispersed teams and remote workers. Located on the web at wideteams.com and on Twitter at wideteams. Joining me today are Will Farrington and Mike Skolnick from GitHub. Thank you so much for joining me. Glad to be here. Likewise. Uh, why don't you two start just by introducing yourself a little bit? Uh, okay. Uh, I'm Will Farrington. Uh, I work on system operations, uh, GitHub. You can find me on Twitter uh, and GitHub and pretty much everything else as just uh, WFAR. And uh, I'm Mike Skelnick. Uh, I'm a Rails developer at GitHub. Um, you can find me just about everywhere. It's just Skelnick. And where are you uh, both calling me from right now? Uh, we're both in the GitHub HQ uh, here in San Francisco. We've kind of all uh, crashed in uh, because we've got GitHub Summit this week. Uh, so we've got uh, pretty much everyone coming in uh, from all over the world uh, to give internal talks and uh, have a great time getting to know your other GitHubers. And where are you both from? Uh, I'm from Atlanta. And I just moved to San Francisco about two months ago. Okay. All right, so um, like you said right there, people are coming in from all over the place. GitHub is a, a pretty distributed company. Um, how widely distributed are you? How uh, What all places are represented? Uh, we have some people in Korea, some people in Australia, New Zealand, um, people in England, people all around the U.S. Uh, do we have anyone in South America? I don't think. I think South America is the one spot. We don't have any GitHubers right now. Um but yeah, we're 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 very widely distributed. Um, I think about two thirds of the company now uh, works remote full time. Um, the rest are in the San Francisco area, um, Oakland, stuff like that. Okay, so they're they're not uh, they don't have a local office or anything. They're just working remotely from their house or or from wherever they want to work from. Uh, for the most part, yeah, there are a couple um, unofficial like offices that have been built up. Um, because you'll have an area, uh, like right now in New Orleans, uh, for example, we have um, two guys there, uh, John Barnett and Sean Davenport, um, and they've gotten a little co-working space uh, set up um, with like the help of uh, GitHub um, like paying for it. Um, and I think there's a similar thing in Boulder, uh, where we actually have um, another group of like four or five GitHubers. Um, but for the most part, yeah, it is people just working uh, from their homes. Um, GitHub helps pay for uh, home office setups as well. Um, so we get, you know, Thunderbolt displays and wireless keyboards and trackpads and all that stuff uh, provided by GitHub, uh, which is really, really nice. That is really nice. So uh, how did that happen? Why is why is GitHub so widely dispersed? Well, I think uh, just due to the nature of how it started, everything is kind of wait till the last minute until we actually need something to actually get it. So uh, I believe for the first year or two, GitHub didn't have an office at all. It was just always out of coffee shops, stuff like that. So going forward, it's always been, you know, there's no strict requirement on having to be in a certain location as long as you can actually get your work done. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and uh, as far as things go, uh, GitHub is... Um, you know, with all the conferences we go and talk uh, at, there's there's a lot of travel kind of built into just just do, doing the job. 
uh, sorry, let me let me rephrase that. Um, with all the conference travel that we do, um, GitHubers are you know constantly going just everywhere around the world. So like, there's no way uh, that they could be like functioning employees if we didn't have a system that was built around um, being very very friendly towards remote work. Um, you know, wherever you can do it, as long as you're delivering results, that's really all that matters. Mm-hmm. On on top of that, GitHub prides itself in uh, making it a good place for develop, uh, developers and keeping everyone happy. So part of that is, you know, if your your spouse needs to relocate for work or something, GitHub doesn't want to prevent you from being able to do that. Mm-hmm. You said you're at the uh, you're attending the, the GitHub Summit. Is that a once a year thing that that you do? Uh, it's semi annual. Um, usually about every six months. Um, and, uh, this is, this is gonna be an interesting experiment for us, uh, I think because, uh, we have about twice the number of employees we did at the previous summit. Um, so we're kind of dealing with some growing pains there. Like, how do you organize a week long get together for 110 people? Um, it's, it's turning out to be really exciting for us, I think. And, you know, of course it's great to have, um, all of these people you, you talk with daily and campfire and work with on these, these awesome pull requests. Um, like actually getting to see them in person and like we, we have, uh, I think a soccer match, uh, mm-hmm. tonight and we're doing like a ping pong tournament, you know, just all sorts of fun things to really like, uh, get to know people in person. Mm. So tell me about how you coordinate work in such a, um, scattered company. I think the primary thing that allows us to do work remotely so well is we focus on making everything asynchronous. Um, if we need to uh, add some code somewhere, a pull request is the primary way of doing it. Anyone can kind of look into it, you know, say, oh, this all looks good, this doesn't. But it's not, like, it's not something that needs immediate attention. If someone is in a different time zone or is doing something else, they don't need to be there holding your hand immediately. You know, you can wait a little bit for that to happen. Or we send out an email like phone calls are not something we often do unless we kind of coordinate ahead of time and we're like, hey, I want to discuss something with you. And it's, you know, it's easier to just sit down and talk about it, maybe through Skype or something like that. But for the most part, it's just focusing on making everything we do completely asynchronous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was uh, just... Oh, go ahead. Uh, I, I'd just like to echo that. Um, but also, uh, a lot of the, the work methodology... Um, kind of grew out of how we have these these loosely organized teams. They're kind of self-organized more than anything else, um, which is kind of interesting because I'm, I'm part of one of two teams uh, as, as, as part of the operations team. Uh, we in support are the only people in GitHub who have hours, but I think the interesting thing about that is we elected amongst ourselves to create like certain hours for that. We uh, we created our own rules for, for hours that, that didn't exist anywhere else in the company. Um, you know, is, is part of like dealing with that as well, because there's certain things, you know, answering support tickets, dealing with server uptime that you kind of have to put some synchronous behavior in an otherwise completely asynchronous environment. Right. I was listening to a, a podcast interview with another GitHubber and he mentioned something about, uh, that you really don't have a lot of meetings. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, the only time I've ever had a meeting, it's more of been like, Hey, I'm working on this problem and it'd be great to get your insight. Do you want to like pair on Skype or pair through iChat or something and do it that way? But I can't remember ever being like, Hey, we're going to have a giant meeting. Let's all get together. 
the closest thing to a meeting I think we have here at GitHub um, is every week uh, we have this thing called Beer 30, um, which is it's kind of like a fireside chat. Um, it's usually tackling larger issues about things like the direction of GitHub or, um, you know, cultural things. Um, and we, we do that every Friday, but it's entirely optional. Um, and the great thing about it is that we actually have a live streaming uh, set up for it so that all of the GitHubers all around the world can tune in and, like, watch this meeting happening. And uh, there's usually a lot of commentary in the campfire room. And, um, yeah, yeah, they tend to be a lot of fun. On top of this, um, so everyone will, like, gather, like, everyone that's local will gather around and uh, talk amongst themselves and sit and watch the talk. But on top of that, the speaker can see there's a TV with campfire with a huge font size. Mm-hmm. So you can actually read it as you're standing there. And that way, that even brings in the people that are remote and just chatting in Campfire kind of into the conversation. Everyone can, like, turn around and see what's going on in Campfire and seeing, like, where the discussion is happening, too. Okay, so they have a voice. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do you find – you mentioned, you know, the, the there are growing pains involved just in, in getting everyone together uh, for, for your summit. Do you find any growing pains in keeping everyone sort of on the same page as you've, you know, been adding so many employees um, with, with you know, still very kind of uh, loose organization? Uh, definitely. Um, you know, we've we've taken some uh, approaches to tackling that that I think makes sense. Um, basically, the, the biggest one, uh, I think that everyone hits their first week, um, is that you really have to put on your blinder sometimes. Like, there's just absolutely so much going on at GitHub that if you had notifications enabled for everything that's being worked on, you would never, like, get out of just hitting the archive button uh, in your inbox. It's, it's that crazy. So um, you kind of have to intentionally limit what you pay attention to sometimes and, and what you choose to be interested in. Uh, GitHub, you know, it's entirely up to you. Um, you work on what you want to work on here. Um, so for example, like there's projects that are not operations related at all that I follow and participate in because I really like them. I'm interested in what's happening there. Um, but like for, for every issue that comes up, like on the repository for github.com, I don't get emails for that because I would just be overwhelmed. And generally speaking, like most of those issues aren't really things that I'm interested in working on, you know? Yeah. And I think uh, another thing that's helped is, uh, People that get hired usually have a very specific focus, and we're like we're looking for someone specific. So it's like, oh well, we need someone that's you know well versed in multi-touch stuff because we want to make something awesome on our multi-touch table, or we you know we want to investigate this thing, so we need to hire someone that's very good at it. Hmm. Let's talk about about that that sort of flow of incoming information because that's something that I've I've found some difficulties in handling myself. I mean, on the one hand, when you're working distributed, you kind of want as much information as you can get. Um, you know, because you're, you're, you're not getting, you know, the office cues, you're not getting, you know, hearing the murmur as, as, you know, as some people discuss something. Um, but, you know, like you said, it it can get very overwhelming. I mean, do you find that that you can sort of go too far the other way? You know, put too many filters on your email, and then you miss something that's important. Definitely. Um, and and there there are a few things that we use to tackle that. Um, so I think the first one is that the most of the just like conversation about even general things like still happens in Campfire. Like we have. Um, a room called the danger room, which is where basically everything non-work related gets stuffed. And 
it's it's constantly packed with people just talking about all sorts of random things, and that's kind of the office water cooler for us. But also, um, we have an internal application called Team um, that basically functions like our own internal Twitter, um, and it's a great way to kind of keep up to date on on higher level things. Hmm. So you might hear that someone's like working on this project, and you can you know, uh, comment on it and you can get involved if you want to, but it's, it's a, it's something that you have to actively choose to go in and read. So it's not information that's being pushed at you. You can go and kind of look through the timeline and see if there's interesting things there, but it's not going to be, you know, filling your inbox or getting in the way of you doing. Mm -hmm. And on, uh, another thing that I think we do well is, um, we have like an email that'll go to everyone in the company. And if you're working on a project and you need some help or you've just hit a major milestone and want to show something off, like, hey, I've done, like, I got this awesome beta version of something coming out. Uh, it would be great if you guys could all try it. You can just email everyone and everyone can try it out or just, you know, ping people in the danger room or whatever. Like, I think we'll hit a, a good point in saying uh, that, you know, we have office chat in Campfire. And I think a lot of companies do that, but... I think GitHub does it a bit differently because it's our primary form of communication. If we didn't have an office, I would not feel the pain at all because I legitimately feel like Campfire is the office. Mm-hmm. As I've worked in other places, and Campfire is definitely where we do a lot of communication, but being in the office still feels very different. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, and one of the other things I think I forgot to mention that makes it a lot easier to stay involved, um, You know, I mentioned turning off a lot of notifications by default for things and kind of putting on your blinders. Um, but we've become very good at GitHub with using the mentions um, on you know, just everything on the site. So uh, whether it be specific commits, issues, pull requests, whatever, we're really good about using team and individual mentions. So mm. think someone might be interested in it, we tend to kind of CC them on that. Um, because, you know, if they're not interested, it's, it's one click for them to not get any notifications on that going forward. But if they are... Um, you know, it's, it's really easy for them to jump in. They don't have to seek this information out. So we do a, a fair amount of, you know, trying to guess what people might be interested in a thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and looped in. Yeah, that's definitely the case. Like, um, I don't have, uh, notifications for github.com turned on either. Uh, specifically because there's so much going on, so many people committing, I would be completely flooded. But, uh, people were working on something and, they had issues with colorblindness. So they were like, hey, we heard, or I heard Scalnik was colorblind. So they CC'd me on it and I was able to come in and give input on something that would have completely gone off my radar. I would have never seen it. But they, you know, heard I was colorblind. They had uh, concerns about it. So they pinged me and I was able to give input. Nice. Do you, uh, I, I suspect that, you know, people listening might be interested in, you know, with, with how sort of loose you keep things. How do you do planning? You know, if you have uh, a set of features that you're going to be implementing or something like that, uh, do you get together in some way for that, or or do you handle that in an asynchronous way as well? Um, it kind of depends on what it is. A lot of the time, um, we'll use like I'll or at least I'll use like an issue and start getting some basic stuff into a pull request and immediately start trying to get some input in on it because um, it's. A lot of times in open source projects, I'll use a pull request because I finished a piece of code and I want to fix something specifically. Mm -hmm. But internally, 
uh, we use it a lot as a review, um, a, a review tool. Like I'll push out like one or two commits and immediately do a pull request and get a conversation going. So we can start thinking about the future of where that, you know, feature might go, how we need to structure it better. But on other times when we're like, okay, this, you know, this one chunk of code is pretty awful and we need to plan on how to refactor it or like, how can we do this a bit better? How can we design this better? It's sometimes nice to, you know, be able to pull in people and be like, okay, let's sit down and uh, kind of plan through this synchronously. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, I, I would echo um, definitely the, the, the policy around here, um, and it's it's unofficial, you know, it's not like you have to do it this way, but the way most people operate is that as soon as there's code for anything, there's immediately a pull request. Like, the code can be incomplete, it could be a rough spike, it could be pulled with all sorts of to-dos and fix-me's, but the point is to really get a discussion going. And I think once, a great example, right, is the notifications changes we just launched. Um, the way it works kind of as a life cycle is it starts as a pull request. There's a ton of discussion, and then we roll it out internally um, for staff only. And, you know, it could be something from a few days in testing staff only to months. Like, I can recall, since I've been working at GitHub, there were three major overhauls of the notification stuff um, alone, like, internally until we felt like we really hit it. Um, so dog fooding, I think, is one of the best ways that we we kind of get people interested in getting their input um, on larger features type things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's really the best way to get people involved is because, you know, we all use github.com all the time. Um, so rolling it out staff only is a great way for people to be like, oh, hey, that changed and I like it or I don't like it because of this. Um, and we do a lot of that. I think I'd be remiss not to mention Hubot at some point. You've got, you've got this internal automation framework for, um, for Campfire uh, that, uh, that you like to talk about in, in, in GitHub talks and stuff like that a lot. Um, t- talk to me about how that, uh, facilitates some of your, you know, your internal organization. Um, Hubot is a life changer. Like we can't, it's, it's kind of funny if Hubot goes down, like work slows down very quickly because Hubot controls all these things. And I think the main nicety of Hubot is, um, there's so many different tools that we're using and Hubot gives you a single interface for it. So if I want to deploy some app that we have and I want to deploy and it's on Heroku, I tell Hubot to deploy it. If I want to deploy GitHub.com, I tell Hubot to deploy it. If I want to deploy an internal iOS app, I tell Hubot to deploy it. It's the exact same commands and the build chain is completely different each time. So that means we don't have to sit down and I have to sit with Will, and Will has to show me how to deploy something. He just writes a script for Hubot that does it. Hubot understands how to deploy something, and if I need to deploy it later, I see exactly how it's done somewhere. Mm-hmm. So it kind of facilitates us. Uh, you don't necessarily, like, a lot of times I feel like uh, teams have trouble dispersing that knowledge, and you're like, oh, well, I have to go sit down and dock something or make sure that you know someone else knows this. This way it forces you to write it down in code and just have a single interface that you can use to mm-hmm. do something. The other great thing, I think, about Hubot is because everyone's attention is constantly in Campfire, um, it's it's kind of 
self-documenting in that, you know, when you start at GitHub and you jump into Campfire for your first few days, you're seeing all these people constantly telling you about to do certain things. And just by, like, seeing all the backlog and watching that happen, it you build up a lot of institutional knowledge very quickly about how things are done. Hmm. Um, and, of course, you know, he's got documentation built in. You can ask him for help and stuff like that. But I, I think that is a huge win right there because it means we don't have to spend time teaching people methodology for, for how, you know, deployments or CI or any of that stuff works. They just see it happen live all the time. Um, and, and, you know, that I think is huge because I, I recall, you know, my first day, just I was overwhelmed with the amount of things that, like, we have Hugh hooked up to. Um, you know, it's kind of crazy to think about that, that we have native iOS or, you know, Windows applications and we have a campfire robot that builds them and deploys them and we automatically get updates pushed to phones and stuff like that. It's crazy. Um, but, you know, in addition to that, I would say also the fact that the, the common interface, I think, is, is really huge because um, it allows us to build everything out as services. Um, so, you know, I mentioned, like, deployments, um, CI, uh, monitoring, all of those are treated as different services, um, which allows us to really focus on those problems individually rather than trying to, like, build them all into some, like, single web interface or anything like that. With, with Hubot, it definitely feels very command-driven, almost like the terminal. So um, it sounds like you all, you're also kind of in, in conjunction with having that framework. You're also putting a pretty high premium on taking the time to to automate things that that uh, other groups might you know leave as a as maybe a documented process, but not an automated process. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, even things like um, you can do uh, get Hubot to graph things, and you can give it this query string that isn't always immediately obvious of, you know, what it could be. So a lot of times, like, taking that and turning it into a sentence you would ask Qbot is a really great thing because it's like, oh, I've taken the time to make this awesome graph. Now let me turn it into something that more people are going to use just because it's more easy to get to. It's also for us, um, I think it's an operational dependency sort of thing, right? If, like, it, it is... Your standard company, you might have this this complex procedure for like rolling out a MySQL change, right? Across your database cluster, and you've got this huge complicated procedure for rolling restarts. But what happens if you've got a couple ops guys on vacation and the developers need to push this change out, but they can't do it because it's a complicated process and they're a little unsure what's going on? Like, there's no confidence in doing that. I think part of the the thing with Hubot is because we lay down all this automation, people can be confident about what they're doing. There's never a question of like, oh man, did I do this deploy right? Or did I make this change right? Um, because, you know, Hubot hides all that. Um, and, and it lets people just kind of sit down and work on it. I, I think it's kind of the same as having a staging environment, which, you know, of course we do, but also like CI in just that it's a big confidence builder for everyone. Um, because, you know, they, they trust that Hubot knows how to do it right. They don't have to worry about all that institutional knowledge themselves. Mm-hmm. I think it's safe to say that that at GitHub you've put more energy into um, into technology for facilitating your your work process than a lot of companies have. Uh, what's on the horizon for you? I mean, are there are there still some frustrations with with working distributed that that you hope to address that you wish you could address or that you'd like to address um, with technology? I don't know about 
distributed in particular, but there's definitely a lot of things going on internally um, that, that we're constantly trying to tackle. Um, you know, even from from things like uh, the the team app or, or Graph Me, uh, which we've mentioned already, but we've even tossed around I- ideas for things like, oh man, you know, our our HR person Heather, like the software she has to use is terrible. I wonder if we could sit down and like write better HR software for her. You know, that sort of thing. We're we're always looking to make working at GitHub a more pleasant experience, whether, you know, that's working on internal applications to do it or what have you. Mm-hmm. I think we, uh, the way that uh, GitHub has grown has facilitated uh, working remotely as a distributed team really well. So I think the distributed nature of GitHub works extremely well, especially because when there are those times that you really want to sit down and meet with everyone, you can organize everyone to meet in one place. Like, that's still a possibility. But just the way Campfire is the primary form of communication, everything is asynchronous, it really makes working distributed really easy. Even though I live here in San Francisco, half my day is usually spent at a coffee shop or at my house, just sitting there and working the same way I would if I came into the office. It really changes nothing for me. So, I don't know. I think that GitHub has really nailed working distributedly. You 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 uh you use Campfire a lot. Do you ever um do you get much like uh FaceTime in the form of video or something like that with with your coworkers? I think Beer 30 is probably where we get the most FaceTime uh due to the streaming setup that I mm-hmm. mentioned. Um you know, they, we basically see everyone in the office um kind of goof around having a good time uh during these little fireside chats. But aside from that, we don't do a lot of video chats. Um most of the time our FaceTime comes out of Either summits like this, um, or conferences. Um, the the way it works with conferences is uh, if you get a talk accepted, you can invite a buddy along, uh, which is a great way to kind of like get another uh, get a chance to hang out with another GitHuber. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, generally we kind of put out feelers, be like, hey, I'm speaking at this, who wants to come hang out? Um, and we get a lot of FaceTime with that as well, but mm-hmm. uh, not a lot of video chats. I was curious because, you know, I've, uh, in my own experiences, I've found that sometimes the, the relationships can cool a little bit, uh, when people don't, don't see each other's faces regularly. And I was just curious if you'd seen that at all. I mean, I, I, personally, I, I don't think that's too big a problem for us. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, I flew in last night, uh, from Atlanta, uh, for the summit and it was, it was kind of like almost a homecoming just because, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, we all, we just love hanging out with each other. We all genuinely enjoy each other's company. So, you know, I walked in the door to the office and instantly it was like, oh, hey, WFAR, and hugs all around and all that. Um, just, we're always happy to see other GitHubers. Yeah, I generally would agree with you. Like, I love uh, doing video chats with people and I feel like it's uh, really valuable to have that FaceTime. Mm-hmm. But despite that, I done maybe two actual video calls since starting at GitHub. Hmm. Like, I haven't felt the same necessity that I used to for it. I'm not really sure if that's because of the constant communication in Campfire, but even then, I mean, that's just text only, so I don't, I don't know why, but it seems to work out alright. Well, I'm, I'm curious if, like, if there's a particular flavor maybe to, to the way that you communicate in Campfire, which, um, you know, maybe, maybe helps you to, you know, keep things personable. I think, yeah, I definitely think we're uh, unreasonably friendly in Campfire, <laughs> and definitely having Qbot there uh, helps make it more entertaining as well, because even though we're having like a serious planning discussion, we're still like, 
Cuba, image me something crazy and mm-hmm. like ask him to pull in some crazy image. And so we're all like, we have like, we're having a serious discussion, but we all have a big smile on our face because we're still like being a little bit playful with Hubot and each other. Right. And I, I definitely think like there, there's a lot of trust. Um, also just, just that, you know, even if you're having a serious discussion, there's never a question of like, maybe something's happening because of like political reasons or anything like that. You know, it's always a genuine level of trust that if someone has, you know, a disagreement about how you want to approach something, it's, it's coming out of the best place possible. Um, and you know, we all care about the products and we're all really happy to be here. So no one ever really gets upset. Yeah, um, I, I think everyone is always very trusting that we're all just trying to make the best product possible. Yeah, I think a big part of that is, is we're just like in the culture is baked in, like always question everything. So if someone has like, hey, I want to do this and you're like, oh, well, I'm not sure if that's the greatest idea. Saying that is not like no one takes that as an insult. It's just like, so why do you think that? And immediately the person's like, oh, well, you know, I think that'd be a great idea because X, Y and Z we're all pretty good about giving constructive criticism. It's not just like this idea is awful, right? It's, I think that your approach might be a bit misguided because you should look into this or something like that. It's always, I'm going to criticize what you're saying, but I have a reason for it. So because we're always questioning and trying to make everything better and all learning from each other, I think that we generally do a good, good job of being pretty personal, even though we're constantly questioning each other. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think we, we really take to heart the, the notion of, like, you know, um, question question the idea, like, not the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's really big here. We're we're all fairly good at, I think, separating our, our egos from, from what's going on as far as, uh, you know, how we're doing work, um, because there's there's not a lot of, not a lot of sense in that. Yeah. You know? um, we're we're all experts in something. And if someone has an opinion, it's probably got some merit so there's no harm in listening to it and you know seeing where it leads because it might work out to be a much better idea in the long run Mm -hmm. um something that i get asked pretty regularly these days is i i hear from a lot of programmers who are uh not living in one of the big tech hubs um and they're they're curious how they can get into um you know, into a, it's a, into a situation with a distributed company that doesn't mind that they, you know, stay wherever they are, um, but they're really not sure how to how to start down that career path. Uh, I'm curious if you have any um, any advice for people that that want to get hired at a GitHub or something like that. Um, at, at least in my case, uh, you know, this is entirely personal experience, so um, your mileage may vary. But uh, for me, it was just seeking out companies that I felt. Uh, you know, would have that level of trust that they would not care if I worked remote, you know, that they trusted that uh, I was going to get work done for them and that I cared about the work I was I was doing um, and I wasn't going to take advantage of the situation. Um, as far as seeking out those companies, uh, I was just kind of lucky in that I got pointed in the right direction from the start. Um, you know, I, I really don't know uh, how I would advise someone coming out of a traditional background uh, to look for a company uh, doing that sort of thing, uh, aside from just um, being involved in the community and really getting to know, uh, you know, based upon the people you meet uh, out at you know, user groups, uh, conferences, what have you, um, you know, you can tell a lot uh, about how particular companies tend to be 
just by talking to the people there, frankly, uh, you know, about their work experience. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's probably a pretty solid way to start. Yeah, I mean, for I come from a similar background that my first real job was a remote job. So I've always been, uh, always had the ability to be remote. But I would echo, you know, uh, getting involved in the community um, like is a massive, massive uh, benefit. I've been able to work with a bunch of people and later find out, you know, oh, well, this gig isn't working out for me or I want to change or I want to do something else. Oh, you guys allow me to work remote as well. Oh, you've worked with me in the past on an open source project and you have a lot of trust for me. Well, that, that works out. But I've... I've, it's hard for me to talk exactly about uh, how to come from a traditional background to working remote since I've been working, or I've always had the ability to work remote. Fair um, enough. Um, I'd also kind of like to add, uh, thinking about it, um, at least in my experience, like if, if you're passionate about, you know, whatever it is you're working on, be it like Rails dev work or, you know, database administration, whatever, um, as long as you're you're really passionate about it and you're, you're willing to just kind of, um, you know, make a play for it. Uh, you know, if there's if there's like a company that you want to work at uh, that you think is awesome and you have a skill set that, that matches what they're looking for, um, I found like the single best way to just get your foot in the door is is just to come out and ask, hey, uh, you know, what would it take for me to work with you? Like uh, a lot of you know people are willing to um, kind of get the ball rolling with that sort of thing and, and see where it leads. Um, yeah. I know I've said those exact words before. Yeah. <laughs> um, nice. So I, I think definitely just not being afraid to reach out. You know, um, that I have I have no problems admitting it's like I uh, I reached out to GitHub uh, I guess maybe a year and a half ago or whatever and and got turned down for a position but you know worked out in the end. Mm -hmm. um, it's just making sure that you're not afraid to kind of take that leap and and just see it. You know, if they're interested in having you on board. Nice. What is your number one piece of advice for a, a distributed team? Make it reasonable for everyone to be able to participate. I've worked at places in the past where I can work remote and that's no problem, but it still feels like I should be in the office for some reason. Like, um, you know, they have constant um, in-person meetings that I would, would be missing out on or um, managing tickets physically or something like that where I wouldn't be able to actually participate in some way because I am gone. Where GitHub does a good job of, oh, we're going to have like this one kind of meeting every week, but primary focus is, hey, can we stream it to everyone? Hey, can we get people that are remote involved? So even if you're halfway across the country, you can still feel like you're part of the team. Um, and I think for me, uh, I think it's always be communicating. Uh, definitely, uh, I, I think that that kind of plays off a little bit what Mike was talking about with, with um, you know, that office vibe and, and whatnot. I think as long as everyone is uh, honestly and openly communicating very frequently um, in, you know, whatever your distributed, like, chat system is, whether it's, like, IRC, HipChat, Campfire, whatever, um, the point is to, like, always be talking um, because, the minute that you stop communicating to other people, like even if you're in the office and you've got like that one person who's remote, like 
they're kind of like an island out there. You know, you've got to keep them involved, and the only way to do that is just communicating with them constantly. And and you know, it can even be something as simple as you know, like we were talking about before, like water cooler style talk. It doesn't even have to be serious, but but definitely keep them looped in because otherwise, it's it, it's definitely easy to kind of feel like separated from the rest of the crowd, mm-hmm. um, getting that sort of communication. Yeah. Well, uh, Will and Mike, where can people find out more about you online? Uh, so in addition to Twitter and my GitHub profile, uh, both username WFAR, uh, I've got uh, willfarrington.com. You can reach me on Twitter at Skalnik or on GitHub at Skalnik, and I own MikeSkalnik.com, but really just points to everything I just said. So. <laughs> and uh, are there any uh, projects that you're involved in that you'd like to draw any attention to? Uh, <laughs> not too much, but, um, I, I guess there's, there's never harm in reminding people that, that Wednesday night we are doing a little bit of database maintenance as, uh, Jesse Newland and I roll out an awesome new database cluster, uh, that should, uh, get some significant speed up for github.com. So. All right. So, so you're both involved in, you know, in a little project called github.com. Is, is, <laughs> that, is that what you're getting at? A small one. <laughs> <laughs> well, people should check it out. It's kind of neat. Yeah, it, you might not have heard of it, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Mike, Will, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having us. Likewise. And that is our show today. I do hope you've enjoyed it. To subscribe to the show if you haven't already, or to check out more interviews and articles about remote work, go to wideteams.com. You can also find the show in the iTunes Music Store, where reviews are very welcome. I am presently seeking a sponsor or sponsors for this podcast to help keep me help me keep great interviews like the one you just heard going up every week. If you or your company might be interested in sponsoring the show, please email me at contact at wideteams.com. The Wide Teams podcast is distributed under the Creative Commons Attribution non-commercial share-alike 3.0 license. Our music is by Giles Boquette. Until next week, this is Avdi Grimm signing off. Wild, <laughs> wild,